You are listening to the Atlanta Real Estate Forum radio show, all about real estate edition. Shining a light on the movers and shakers in the real estate industry. The home builders, developers, realtors, and suppliers making it all happen. Good morning and welcome back to Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio. I'm your host, Carol Morgan, and I'd like to recognize Denim Marketing as our show sponsor. At Denim Marketing, we work to make your marketing a comfortable fit. Please give us a call if you're looking for a new marketing partner. We'd love to talk to you. Today, we're continuing our Legends of Real Estate series with a builder who got his start in the late 70s. We're joined today by Rick Porter, president of Richport Properties and director of the Masters of Real Estate program in the College of Design at Georgia Tech. Welcome to the show, Rick. Thank you, Carol. Good to be here. Super happy to have you here. I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. And although you and I worked together back in the day, we won't say how long ago that was, um, I'm going to ask you some things that I don't know about you. So I think this will be a fun conversation. I know you have a degree in architecture from Georgia Tech, but talk about how that parlayed into you becoming a builder and you know, how did you get started in your early career? Sure. I consider myself one of the lucky ones. I, I really have no memory of not being around something under development or construction. I am a third generation and arguably a fourth generation involved in some aspect of development and construction. So I grew up around it, had an uncle who was really my mentor uh, through my teenage years. And while I thought that I would get into development in some form or fashion, he encouraged me to get an architecture degree. Um, he thought that it would be a professional degree versus something more general. And, and so I pursued the degree. Frankly, I would have been a better engineering student in many ways, but I pursued the degree and it has ended up being an outstanding background uh, just as a way of thinking, design thinking, if you will, across the spectrum of real estate development. So the, the, the degree played that role, but specifically um, I had a big brother in the fraternity when I was a tech, a couple of years older than me. And so before I graduated, a couple of months, he came to me and wanted to know if I would design him a house. He had gotten, you know, a couple of years out of school and was was ready. And I said, sure. And and it was in the mid-70s, actually, at, at a very difficult economic time. And I was encouraged by some family to say, well, why don't you consider building it? So I talked to him about it, and that that literally turned into my first summer out of school, design and building a house for him. And then, Holy and then with, with some encouragement along the way from family, I, I went from there. So. so right out of college, you were working for yourself. Did you ever work for another home builder? I did not. Um, it was um, something that on the one hand, I wanted to do. Um, on the other hand, maybe I had to do because it really was. It, it was a difficult time in real estate at, at that point. Um, but I, I, I had the fire. I, I had grown up in an entrepreneurial environment, thought that I wanted to. And and I was. I still did have help from this uncle who was a mentor and 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 helped me continue on. He had gotten more into development. And frankly, for a couple of years, I became the guy that dealt with some of the leftover lots that nobody wanted. So it, well, 
So it it was, yes, I was on my own, uh, but at the same time, because, not, and not just this uncle, but, uh-huh. but other family members involved in construction, I was surrounded by people that were helping, even though I was, I was technically uh, from day one, um, my own boss. Wow. So what, what year did you start Richport? The, you know, I, I built for a couple of years just as a proprietor, sole proprietor. Uh-huh. I, I incorporated. Technically, the name Richport came along in the early 80s. Uh-huh. Uh, I had incorporated, but changed. And it um, ultimately, I, I built my business with my still wife. My, we had, we, when we first started, we had not gotten married yet. We were high school sweethearts. And, uh, but she had gone into the corporate world out of school, out of college, uh, gotten her MBA and we decided to come together. And that's really sort of the launch of me building the business. But yeah, um, at that point in time, we created the name Richport. So oh, that's that, fantastic. That came together in probably about 82 or 83. I love that. Um, well, talk a little bit about how home building was different in the late, you know, late seventies, early eighties, than how yeah. it is today. The um, if I combine, I could segregate home building and development, but there's there's certainly uh, similarities to both. Um, you know, today it is still in many ways a relationship business, mm-hmm. but it clearly was back then. The um, the relationship we had with subcontractors, the relationship mm-hmm. we had with vendors, and quite frankly, the relationship we had with municipalities was all very personal. Production home building, uh, I will call it, was just beginning to emerge, frankly, in the late 70s and, and early 80s, so that Many of the of the homes that were built and the developments that were done uh, were not uh, thought about, if you will, from a pure community standpoint. Mm-hmm. So you had multiple builders working on lots within subdivisions and within communities, but that cohesiveness was really just becoming part of the market of of how we looked at brand associated with builders, how we looked at brand associated with communities. So I think that individuality of it was was really the difference. A lot of difference on the construction side that, you know, I won't get in the weeds on necessarily, (laughs) but we just had different construction techniques. Certainly, engineered lumber and things of that nature were 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 not uh, a big part of what we're doing. And and today, it's everything. Even right. uh, from a home building standpoint, even slab on grade construction was not was not as known back in the day. That was relatively new thing. We began to get into it um, as as really sort of an early adopter of, of of that, and it was it was a learning curve for us. But but not many builders were doing slab on grade in the late seventies and early. I guess 80s. you know you think back to most of those seventies eighties homes, and most of them were on a crawl space or on a basement. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And it and we were not using poured foundations. We were using right. concrete, block, concrete block, which on the one hand is 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 a bit more flexible. On the other hand, isn't isn't quite uh, as forgiving sometimes as 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 some of the better structures. So that's one of the construction techniques that that was significantly different. Oh, that's amazing. You know, there's so many different things, and I know, you know, just just the difference at homes. You know, I think everything was a ranch or a split foyer. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, and you did nobody builds, you know, of course, obviously we build ranch plans still, but uh yeah. but, no, then split levels are gone, you know, and and that was very prominent uh, you know, back in that time frame. Um and, and there were clearly two stories, but not as many, not as no. many as, as as we see today. But as lots got smaller, and that's the other thing that was significantly different. We were you know, a, a, a significant amount of, of, of the new homes were still on septic tanks. And mm-hmm. so we had larger lots. Um, and as we got, as we looked more uh, toward density and we looked more toward slab on grade construction and more cohesive development patterns so that we were developing entire communities at one time, that not only changed the structure of the lot, but it did, in fact, change a lot of the, the, the structure itself and the construction methodologies that we used. Yeah. Wow. Just a different time, a different day. Well, what were some of your early projects? The uh, I spent probably the first six or seven years um, and got deeper into um design build, if you will, on the on the residential side. So I, I parlayed just that first experience uh, out of tech into a, 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 a relatively good business for a number of years because I could offer, I never held myself out to be the best designer, but I could offer custom design uh, and, and construction. So we didn't call it at that point in time design build, but that's what it would be called today. So I was working in that arena, but knew that I wanted to to move more toward development. So when I had that first opportunity in the mid 80s and and the the first couple are are always on your mind, I bought a community that ended up being about 70 lots. Um, It was it, it was only about partially developed. Phase one was partially developed. So it was a case of us picking up it wasn't necessarily an economic problem i don't remember all the details around it but it, it like every other deal had certain complications but we were able to pick up the partially developed lots and finish phase 1 and build it out and go on to phase 2 so so that one because there were some very significant topography issues that we had to get involved in in comprehensive grading pretty early on so so it, so that one was important to me but it was also important to me because that was a move we made from I was never into to real to to very high end housing but the design bill side was a bit higher end and that first uh, development that we did, we made the pivot into, it's called different things over the years, but what we called entry-level housing. Um, it was predominantly working with first-time buyers. And so we had gotten into some smaller lots some new designs and, and, and then doing the development ourselves. So, so that pivot to, to more affordable housing, that pivot to development um, was, you know, was was an exciting, uh, but challenging, frankly, because I was still we were able to get financing, but development financing, it was early trying to get development financing as a, you know, as while we'd been in business for for several years, we were still, you know, we were still young. And so putting together the appropriate financing for that was, was a challenge. But it was it was that that transition into smaller, more affordable product, higher density lots, and comprehensive grading on that 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 first uh, development we did. Now, then we did a couple of ground up, small ground up developments. The one and only subdivision I did in the city of Atlanta 
because most of it had been more in the Northeast quadrant. Mm -hmm. Um, We did in the mid to late 80s as well, a small subdivision in Southwest Atlanta that we did from the ground up. So those two first ones um, really do come to mind, but but it had to do with that pivot into development and more affordability. Well, fast forward, golly, I guess I'm going to ask you to fast forward 20 years. So let's talk about the early 2000s, because I think that's when you and I were working together. I think you were doing a bunch of projects up in, golly, I don't know if that area would be North Cross or maybe it was Gwinnett, you know, some some townhomes and some single family Uh, and, and talk about what that looked like. You know, as we as we went through the 90s and we became um, again, I was never we were never one of the largest, but we became a significant size of developer builder and more of a production builder. But I always had a a penchant for some innovative new ideas that it, it at least moving more toward some some different ideas of development. So. We had the opportunity that started first in the city of Duluth and then the city of Swanee was was where we were working together more, had the opportunity to work with some of the small cities to do and and, and introduce some new development ideas. And that was our first development in Swanee was our first. We've had been fortunate to win two Development of Excellence Awards from the Atlanta Regional Commission over the years. And that was the first one where we introduced a couple of things. One was traditional neighborhood development. So we had alleyway type development so that the streetscape was very different than than what we had seen in many areas uh, at that point in time, especially in Atlanta, because you you had a night, the, the streetscape without driveways, without garages and things of that nature. But we also added not only townhomes adjacent to detached development, we added the first live work units in, in Gwinnett County and, and, and in many ways in, in the whole metro area. There were only six as part of that community, but it yeah. was a it was a very it was defined. It wasn't just a, a home office. I mean, we had a defined area and we designed them to be true live work. Um, and and put them as as part of the um, the the townhome section of the community. So it was starting that work with suburban cities that um, that we continue even to this day. Just uh, last year, we finished up a new community right off the square in the city of Lawrenceville. And as the business changed, as our regulatory environment changed. It, it became more and more difficult within the larger municipality, the, the county structure, to deliver innovative ideas. And so mm-hmm. I found a significant part of our business being in suburban cities where mm-hmm. we could work with the, the local officials, smaller, um, you know, smaller group, if you will, build relationships there, not necessarily to get anything special, but to introduce some innovative ideas. And that one in Swanee, this was before their town center. They had right. a, a big new town center. Well, they were trying to, to energize their old historic downtown. Mm-hmm. And we were able to put a community together that tied into the old historic downtown. So that, you know, that was, yes, it was still in some ways production, but it was um, it, it, it was innovative and and we had a, a lot of fun over the years trying to 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 deliver some of those those things to the market. 
Well, and it really, I think, raised the bar for future development, you know, taught people and showed people, you know, showed builders a different way of doing it. Well, hopefully. I mean, uh, there's, you know, there's various ways to look at pioneers in real estate development. Yes. And, and a lot of times it's, it doesn't always work out as well. But but I think we were able to combine good business practice with some innovative ideas. And, you know, and and some of the municipalities were were accepting to work with us on those things. And, and, and that's what, you know, gave us the ability. And I do think that, that the whole industry needs that we need, you know, it's, it's an industry that is very conservative because the market is, is conservative. You know, they Mm -hmm. don't, most people don't buy a house, but once or twice, maybe, you know, in their lifetime. And so they're not going to experiment a lot with, with something new and this gave us a way to experiment with some new ideas in a in a regulatory environment that was accepting, while at the same time not being so far outside of the marketplace, if you will, that, that folks yeah. resisted it. Yeah. Well, and I think the awards speak for themselves on those projects. So yeah. and of course, we were all happily building marketing along, and along came the Great Recession. So talk a little bit about, you know, how that impacted your business and how you overcame it. Yeah. Um, you know, Carol, that um, I like to say that from looking at family and when I was getting into the business, frankly, the the uncle that was a mentor of mine was struggling mightily. Mm-hmm. So while I didn't understand that as much in the mid 70s, it had given me at least the 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 background to know that this is a cyclical industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a that that continues to this day. Uh, I was in a conversation yesterday about this, but it continues to this day to be something that you know, I want young developers or young home builders to understand it's not a bad thing. It is just the thing. Right. <laughs> it yeah. it yeah. is, in fact, what this industry is. And so when we are looking at what type of profitability you need in the development industry or the home building industry, we have to incorporate that. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, and, and knowing that I had some background and ultimately that's what got me through that that downturn just from a perspective standpoint, clearly while we began and as did other builder developers see this happening in 2006 and seven and, you know, everybody's got their cliches, but when we are riding around saying, you know, that doesn't really make any sense what's happening right there. Well, it really didn't, you know, and so, but it did get much worse than any of us thought. You know, we we had I had been through already through a couple of, of downturns and frankly had done well in the late 80s, put together a couple of, of pretty good developments when the savings and loan industry got into such trouble in the late 80s and was able to buy a couple of, of, of deals relatively, uh, you know, relatively inexpensively. So we anticipated, we began to batten down the hatches just a bit and pull back, but it got severely worse than, than any of us thought. And I, I, I would bring up, you know, two or three major points that, that helped me through. And, and we were bruised like everyone else uh, coming through that downturn. 
But number one, I, I, I talked. I talked to all my lenders anytime they would. And, and I tried to stay in touch because, you know, there's a tendency to, to hide from bad news and there's a tendency to think maybe we can, we can escape this. But, but I did try to stay in touch on a very regular basis. We had quite a bit going on at that time. And I, I had always had the approach of, of working with several different lenders, both a large lender, a more community type and so forth to, to you know, hedge the type of banks and, and commercial lenders you work with. But I stayed in touch with all of them and I would reach out even before they were trying to find me. And early on, a couple of, of the early deals that we did, that turned into the lender saying, look, here's what we would really like to do. And if you can make this happen, you know, then we'll do this and, and so forth. So number one, I, I stayed in touch and I was able to, to reset a couple of deals early on that, and it got worse after that. Had right. I not done that quickly, it wouldn't have been available to me even six months or a year later. Number two, I um, and, and this is something that is difficult to do when you see yourself coming into a downturn, but I was able to sell a couple of deals that still had value. You know, mm -hmm. there's a tendency that we want to hold on. You know, this is going to be valuable. And I really want to hold on <laughs> right. to this. And I don't necessarily, I, I say this from the standpoint, I'm not necessarily sure. I, I wasn't a visionary. I, I didn't see all the way to end of this, but I needed cash. And yeah. and it was, so I, I had a couple of things. One was the end of a community we were building. I had some lots left and so forth. But I looked and, and then I realized what really I, I was intuitively doing. I was looking where there was still value, turning that value into cash. And that was a, a second part that that really helped me through yeah um, and the last thing I had a couple of pieces of property that I thought could be used for different things um, and I began to explore that and long term one of them and I, I it ended up that I, I, I said I contributed some of this because I didn't get my money out of it but I actually had a piece of property that a local county wanted to turn into a park um, and they were, you know, I, I, again, it wasn't a, a valuable deal per se, but it did take that piece of property, made something valuable out of it to the county. And I did get some out of the property that I would not have. Yeah. And so those things along with, and this is a, this is a, what every builder developer needs to grasp that how you deal with income taxes in this industry is, is a very serious part of the business plan. And a, a lot of times we just try to push it off and, mm -hmm. and it is not something, it's something to embrace and to, to recognize that you're going to make money in a sporadic way in this industry. You're not going to make it on a straight line. You're going to make money and you're going to lose money and utilizing, not breaking any rules, but utilizing the rules that you have in the in from a cash flow standpoint as it relates to income taxes so that when when it was like in 2009 it was introduced that that um, the federal government was extending the the net operating loss going back not just two years but five years we got very aggressive and took advantage of that change in tax rules and mm -hmm. it turned into some 
some cash flow from the standpoint of taxes that we had paid in previous and you know previous to those years. So yeah. you know that is a it, it's a business aspect, and I, I, again, well, I don't, I don't want to get in the weeds on that, but very often this whole issue of taxes with real estate development and home building, people think we avoid this, and people think we're doing this, and it's shady this and other. It's not any of those things. It's just looking at the rules follow the rules. I'm not suggesting we don't follow the rules, but we don't overlook rules that right. are advantage to us because real estate development is going to be cyclical and mm -hmm. you're going to make a lot of money some years and you're going to lose money some years. And so, you know, make that part of your business plan and managing income taxes is part of that. But that helped us, that cash flow helped us, you know, get through it. Now we we did different things too. We did some contract work for some of the lenders. We we actually, you know, I I had never bought existing inventory and, and renovated and sold it, but we got into that because there were, you know, there were some areas that had uh, had good housing stock that we knew about that we could buy on a, you know, at a, at a lower level, most of it foreclosures. So we didn't get in the build to rent side of it, but, but we, we did that. And I had, that had never been a part of the business plan, but right. it turned out to be, to be profitable. So we were able to pivot into a couple of other business areas. Yeah, well, I, you know, and I think that creativity and, you know, looking for opportunity, you know, I don't, yeah, the whole tax thing, and I'm laughing, it's like, because you refrain from saying refund, because it wasn't a refund, you got your overpayment back. That's so exactly right. That's what people that's... don't, you know, it's like, oh my goodness. So yeah, that's, that's a whole nother, we could talk about that all day. Sure. Crafting the perfect marketing strategy is like constructing the perfect pair of jeans. You need all the right components and expertise. Unlike trying on a dressing room full of jeans, denim marketing makes the process painless and easy. Denim marketing is the market leader in creating quality original content for home builders, developers, remodelers, and others in the industry. Call 770-383-3360 or email carol at denimmarketing.com to find out how denim marketing can be a comfortable fit for your social media, public relations, marketing campaigns, email marketing, blogs, and other marketing needs. Talk a little bit about your involvement in the Greater Atlanta Home Builders Association and how that played into your career. Sure. Um, again, it, it was probably coming from my background and I knew more about trade associations maybe than some. But I think the difference that I saw, and, and I, I continue to encourage this with, with young builders and developers, I got involved early in my career um, and it was more or less a parallel course for me to be involved in the association and me to build my business. Now, sometimes, you know, the, the timing doesn't work or the amount of time that, that you, you put into that. But I always felt like that not only was I learning from other people within the industry, which was a significant aspect of being involved, but, I, but other people were getting to know me. So mm -hmm. it was it served that purpose of business development as I was growing my business versus growing the business and then and coming back. Now that works well for some, but but it was significantly valuable to me to 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 be known, to develop new relationships, and for me to learn from those folks that were there 
because mm-hmm. I had, and, and, and maybe that was where, you know, me having family that was mentors, it was natural to me to look to older people at that point in time within the industry and learn from them. And the home builders gave me that. It gave me this full right. range of not only younger people trying to get involved, but the, the, the aged wisdom, if you will, uh, <laughs> of, of those that were ahead of me. Um, and it gave me both of those things while it was giving me exposure as well. So it helped the business development and it, it, it helped the knowledge. And then, of course, you know, the years and I'm not as involved now, but the 20 or 25 years, I was very involved all the way up through uh, a national vice president in the, in the National Home Builders Association. And, you know, and, and I, I cherish all of those. It was a lot of time. It was, you know, and, and as my business grew, you know, I was lucky to have good folks so that I had the time to do it. Um, but it always paid back and it was, but it, again, it is something to manage for any business person. You know, do you, do you make it work for both sides? It's gotta be a win-win and, and, right. and that's what it, it, it clearly was for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do you have any advice for people interested in getting involved in home building today? Well, number one, um, you know, I would, I did not do this, but I would say it's more important today to potentially build a resume working with um, other organizations because Mm -hmm. it it was not uncommon when I came right out. You know, I guess it was a little uncommon, but 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 being purely entrepreneurial and on your own could work. Uh, I think today is probably more important to get organizational experience and to get corporate experience in some form or fashion uh, to, uh, you know, to help uh, to help get that that stabilization uh, of knowledge. There's more involved today. You know, there's more silos in many ways. The regulatory infrastructure is more difficult. The financial infrastructure is more difficult. Even the market is more difficult. And we do see in the residential world, especially, we see a much larger market share being served by production builders and larger organizations. So it's more important today to understand that. So I, so I, I actually encourage, you know, some years of experience, even if the entrepreneurial fire is burning to, uh, you know, <laughs> to, to, uh, to, to get that foundation. And secondly, it is you, you have to grasp the financial side of the business and that you're going to have to find and have capital to, to do any type of building and development today. It's very hard. You can do it you know, in today's startup world, it's friends and family money. And, and that's still probably where, you know, the, I didn't have the term back in the day, but that's where, you know, that's where I started and where many young builder developers would start today. But recognizing the amount of capital that it takes and the type of lending that it takes, you can get that experience better, too, by working within the organization. Lastly, you got to be curious. I mean, I, it is, mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, I, I, as I said, I'm lucky. I, I grew up in the business. I, I've never been, I've always been around things under construction and I learned something on every deal. I mean, I, you know, every deal has got its nuances and you have got to be curious enough to, to under, to, to want to know 
you know, what the deal's about and what's the what's the good thing, what's the bad things, what you know, good news and bad news with it, and then have the critical thinking to embrace, you know, to embrace the challenge of problem solving. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've I've heard you say education a few times, and obviously that's something that's been important to you over the years. Um, I know in 2006, you helped to start Georgia Tech's new master's program, which you're still involved in today. Talk a little bit about that and the benefits of that to, you know, somebody going through school today. Sure, Carol, that's a a very important thing to me today. And one of those uh, unique opportunities that I got that I wasn't really looking for in many ways a, a little bit later in life, but but started with a conversation um, because I was an alumni of the what was the College of Architecture then. Today is the College of Design. Um, I was just I, I was approached along with some other industry folks to begin a conversation about the college teaching something about real estate development. Mm-hmm. They didn't really know what at that point in time. Um, but there was content because there's three schools within the college, the School of Building Construction, the School of City and Regional Planning, and the School of Architecture. So they were all involved in the built environment and teaching certain aspects. So they brought together an industry group, and we talked for about a year what this might look like. And from that, um, the decision was made at Tech to start a track in real estate development. It wasn't a full degree at that point. And they asked me if I'd be interested in teaching. And I, you know, well, and, and frankly, related to the home builders, it was at a time when my family, I've got two sons, and that they were, you know, 10 and 12 along in that time frame. And the travel with the national home builders was becoming a bit more challenging and problematic, but I always liked that outside, you know, stimulus, if you will. So mm-hmm. I said, well, sure. And I began to pull back some of the home builders and I started teaching and they helped me get going. And it turned out to be something that I enjoyed much more than than mm-hmm. I envisioned that I would. But then also it was, it, it occurred to me and, and it already had in some ways that academia is not the solution for every profession, but a next significant step for the profession of real estate development is to have a place in academia because ultimately that does begin to define a profession in many ways and it creates this path when you said what would my advice be to to young people you know many of us again i i was a lucky one i had family in that but but people just got to real estate development in so many varied ways because there was really there's not been a path to real estate development so after teaching for a couple of three years i began to see there was a real you know opportunity here for this industry that had been great to me to con- to keep mm-hmm. this going well it was three or four years in and the dean at that point in time Put on, uh, put on his agenda that that the goal had been truly to to finish up the standalone Master of Real Estate Development uh, program, and there was only a few in the country at that point in time. Now, commercial real estate has been a master's programs for many years. Georgia State has got a Master of Real Estate degree that they've had for a number of years, but that's more of a financial analytics program that mm-hmm. focuses on buying and selling real estate and so forth and not the production of real estate. So there was only a few programs and he asked me if I would take the lead. And um, again, I, you know, uh, 
Sure. You know, I, I wasn't sure what I was getting into, but sooner or later, I began to figure out that it was a whole lot like a zoning, you know, that you had to <laughs> you had to write up a proposal and you had to figure out who all of your your interest groups were and you were going to have to go sell it here and go sell it there and, and, and so forth. And I did get some help and it was a fairly tedious process. But it took about two years. You go through the Institute and all the way through the Board of the Regents twice. But ultimately, we got our approval about six years ago. And I continue to be the director of the Master of Real Estate Development um, at, at Georgia Tech. We have, um, we're a program of about 30 to 40 students at any one time, one of only a couple of programs at Tech that cater to working professionals. So classes are offered in an evening format. Uh, Tech doesn't do that very much. It's a research institute. And we have now got about 70 masters in real estate development degrees out in the Atlanta market that that have never been there. So that's amazing. uh, Yeah, got a a great uh, group of students that continue to come through. We draw from both those with current real estate development experience a construction experience, residential and commercial planning experience. We get some bankers that come through the program that are in AD&C financing, but want to know more about the broader aspects. Planners that come through the program that, you know, some from the, the municipal side, other consultant types with, with mm-hmm. you know, CBRE and groups like that. Uh, but I really think that this gives real estate development a place, again, in the academy, in the institute. And ultimately, mm-hmm. it will be only one piece of it. You know, there's the old right. adage that those that that those that can do and those that can't teach. And there's, you know, there's there's always probably a little bit of truth to that. But bringing our industry into the uh, the academic environment and post-secondary academia specifically gives us a platform to teach it, to create a path, to innovate, to innovate in such a way where we have other disciplines, especially at Georgia Tech, because while we're in the College of Design, we interface with civil engineering, we interface with business, we've got architecture planning and construction right here within the college. So we can look, you know, and part of the, the, the goal that I have with that is number one, this isn't just pie in the sky. I don't want you to come to our program and just dream. I want you to learn how mm-hmm. things are today because we have a, you know, the term was given to me a few years back, a a Byzantine regulatory infrastructure still within our industry. And it is archaic in many ways as to how it's implemented. But this gives us a platform to have innovative discussions while at the same time teaching, well, here's what is the reality. Here's the infrastructure we have to interface with. Now, how are we going to merge these things? Because we have got to bring more innovation. And we're frankly seeing that this is not this affordable housing issue that we have today. It it didn't happen in the last two or three years. This has been a 30 year march. And and now we're we're wringing our hand. We've always had good people working on it. But this really and it's not totally within the regulatory arena, but that's a big part of it. We have got to be more innovative. You know, our Euclidean zoning, which is the platform we're working off of, is now about to be 100 years old. 1926 Mm -hmm. was when this was this major court case happened that set us on this path. Well, 
you're probably not using the same phone you used a hundred years ago, you know? <laughs> nope. We, you are absolutely we need right. Need a new fundamental wow. way, but it is. It obviously, I've, I've I've developed a lot of passion for it. And while I'm still the director, it is now time. I'm you know I'm the startup guy. So uh, you know it's it's it. But but Georgia Tech has given me a lot of entrepreneurial leeway, frankly. And and I'm I feel uh, it's a lot of time, a lot of energy. But I feel very lucky that that I have been able to do this. And now I've got leadership that that understands that it is time for us to, you know, we will look ahead to that. And but I want to keep teaching. I I will keep teaching, yeah. and 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 probably over the next couple of years we will find a a, a more true administrator. But um, but I want to make sure it's stable because real estate development now has a place in in post secondary academia at Georgia Tech, which is a you know which is Tech. a great brand, and and there is still. There's some really bright folks that um, you know, Georgia Tech's got uh, got some of the same issues that other higher education institutes have. I don't pretend that it's that it's perfect, but there's a lot of bright people there, and and real estate development needs that kind of energy. So so it's been very rewarding. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your work on that. I love the fact that you were involved and that you have all the boots on the ground, you know, <laughs> pedigree behind you. It's not that you're just, you know, walking in, putting this pie in the sky, ivory tower in place. You know what you're doing. You've brought many a home and a development out of the ground. Yeah. And that's the expertise they needed yeah. to get the, the program off the ground and make it work. And Georgia so. Tech allowed that. I, you know, again, I, I know yeah. I'm alum. I'm not trying to sell Georgia Tech, but, you know, and Dean Steve French, he's the one that, that said, mm-hmm. let's do this and um, he has stepped down now as dean but he gave me that opportunity and the latitude to build yeah. a and i'll use your term to build a boots on the ground real estate development program and that's yeah. what we've got so. absolutely all right well i've got to ask the million dollar question what accomplishment are you most proud of well i'm talking about one of them so that's you know i i, I it's, it's it's hard after uh 40 years to you know, to pick out you know, just one or, or one, two or three. But but certainly I am I am very proud to have been part of putting in place this Master of Real Estate Development uh, program. But I will also say that from uh, from the standpoint of development, I, I've had a couple of, of opportunities and, and one that comes to mind and, and I, I bring it up because, frankly, it, it was it was during the 2009 and 10 timeframe. Um, it, it was not financially successful per se, but it was, and I'm not, I don't say this to put a halo on us, but this was our second development of excellence award, which was an infill sustainable conservation community, a, a high density attached condominium deal, quite frankly, townhome condominium deal that uh, was on just two and a half acres, but it was designed to infiltrate all the stormwater system. We had the most creative stormwater system that I have put into uh, any community in that community. Um, and frankly, some of the reason we could do it is because during the downturn, it, you know, it was <laughs> we were able to get the municipality to work very closely with us and things of that nature. But but I do put that one, you know, up pretty close to the top because it was the most comprehensive that we had done relative to land design, building design, and specifically stormwater management. 
And we had done other conservation developments where we, we have put probably four or 500 acres under permanent conservation easement wow. as part of a number of developments. So I had done that in some suburban development, but to bring that concept to an infill site and to manage stormwater in a creative way, that um, that one was 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 very rewarding. Uh, that that particular development, and and I, I I say it in all candor that it didn't pay off very well, you know. <laughs> but you know, we get real estate developers are. You know, I, I've often said that uh, that they're a bit more like folks at art festivals than they are business people. You know, that the the creative nature and and the the intuition that comes to that that creative part it is a huge piece of being attracted to real estate development, and it is not just a pure business play and a pure financial play. And and so I, I make that point, and again back to to younger developers that that look at the broad aspect of what you can get. You know, this uncle who was my mentor always had a saying. It was uh, it was like sculpture in real size. You know, and it was so it was you know. And there's different ways to say that, but we are carving the land, and we're so being able to comprehensively put developments together. That's a you know that's a reward, and it is you know, and then the people you serve and the you know, we've had a lot of first time buyers that this is, I mean, just the most exciting day of their life. And to, you know, to to sit across from that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times, it doesn't get old. It just doesn't get old that, that people get excited about it. But that part is 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 a component of real estate development. And so I I also touched that particular development for that reason that, you know, that it was it was just as rewarding, although it was quite a financial struggle. So. Yeah. Well, I have loved our conversation. Unfortunately, we're running out sure. of time, but I just want to say I love the fact that you bring the enthusiasm and creativity to the conversation today. I, you know, it seems to me that you're just as enthusiastic yeah. about it today as you were 40 years yeah. ago. So, you know, that passion is just so important. And I love that you're, you know, passing that on at Georgia Tech and, you know, passing that on within your own company. So so thank you for that. But before I let you go, how can our listeners um, get more information on you or contact you? Well, we uh, because we're not doing as much, I still have richport.com. I still got a website. It's a bit more personal these days. And, it's a, and quite frankly, right now, it's a, it's, a, it's a work in process. But people can find out more about me there. I have put the Perfect. academic and the other pieces there on uh, at, at richport.com. And it will be better over time. But I decided that what I wanted to do was to have more of a platform to talk about the various aspects that you know, not just our business and not just me, but the things that are important to me. So I've, I've got I love a piece that. on academia and other things there with the um, with the website. And um, so that's uh, that's still out there. OK, great. Well, that is where we will all go check out richport.com. Um, on behalf of today's sponsor, I'm your host, Carol Morgan. I'm going to say this is a wrap for this week's Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio. I want to thank Rick Porter for joining me in studio today on our Legends of Real Estate series. Um, if you enjoyed today's show, please go to iTunes and give us a positive rating and review. If iTunes isn't your thing, you can also download us on Stitcher and Spotify. Um, if you're interested in being on the show, reach out to me at carol at denimmarketing.com and let me know what you'd like to talk about. And with that, I will see you right here again next week for our next episode. Today's episode was made possible by Denim Marketing. 
the publisher of Atlanta Real Estate Forum, Atlanta's favorite real estate blog, and source for real estate news, trends, new home communities, model homes, builders, and more. Denim marketing is a comfortable fit, like your favorite pair of jeans. Denim marketing tailors marketing strategies to meet your specific needs and niche. Try them on for size. They will work to create a perfect fit for your company's marketing program. Call them at 770-383-3360 or send an email to info at denimmarketing.com. For more information on Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio or to inquire about being a guest, contact info at atlantarealestateforum.com. Check out the radio show by visiting atlantarealestateforum.com or by listening to the show on your podcast or iTunes app. And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, we'd sure appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Atlanta Real Estate Forum radio show.